Welcome to the Sugar Ride Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for making this show part of your Saturday. Always a thrill to be on the air with you. Always appreciate it. And I'm telling you, listen, we are going to be Bruins heavy all day today. But it'll be a very Bruins heavy show today as we got a lot to get into. As they have started their series against the Carolina Hurricanes. And when I tell you what a game game one was, it was an absolute doozy. And I'm telling you, if this is any indication that the Bruins have finally begun to play like the Boston Bruins of the regular season, then this is absolutely great omen for the Boston Bruins. Listen, game one was absolutely a terrific game no matter how you may want to look at it no matter how you may want to spin it and all but you got to admit that even as a Bruins fan even as a Bruins fan that you are you are really optimistic optimistic by what you saw and what you saw in this team in game one in this game listen it was a back and forth affair some high moments some maddening moments we'll get to the positives first before I hop on, on the negative more than anything else. And as always, if you have any thoughts, feel free to call into the show at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. Now, let's start with the positive. Look, the Boston Bruins' top line was an absolute factor in terms of the offense and as well as in terms of being able to generate offense for a team that had so many questions coming into this one in terms of where was the production going to come from where was the offense going to come from none of us really know and you know we heard Marshan say this repeatedly especially during a round robin of play this is like an exhibition round this is like a basically what, what as, as what he put it as this is not real hockey and after the final round robin game against Washington he said off to real hockey we're playing real hockey now and in game one what you saw from the Bruins was a team that early on in the first period I really like what I saw and I and I talked about it and wish that I really liked the fact that they came out with a certain level of intensity that we're accustomed to seeing them come out with and then on top of that what I also saw from that first period was a team that did not back down. They gave up the first goal, yes. But, however, this was a team that absolutely continued to find a way to get it done. And although the goal that was scored by Edmondson, the first goal that was scored in game one, was maddening considering that they left a lot of space on the ice, a lot of time and space. The fact that they responded in the way that they did, and who else but to respond? That's right, David Pasternak. David Pasternak was absolutely outstanding in terms of his ability to finally find the back of the net. You wondered what was going to be of the Boston Bruins offense going into the series against Carolina, considering that they have been they they played stymied. Um, defense, very stingy defense in terms of shutting down the Rangers offense, but in this game what I saw on the positive side was 
the top line coming through. You, you, I like what I saw from from um, from Pasternak, although he was absolutely responsible for allowing the goal that was scored by McGinn that tied it up at two for the Carolina Hurricanes. More on that a little later on, but he came out to play, and as well as you got contributions from other parts of the lineup as well. You had Charlie Coyle who scored. You had David Krejci who scored to make it 3-2. And that in itself was amazing considering that I talked about it on the show last week how I was concerned as to where was the offense going to come from in terms of the Boston Bruins other than the top line. That was really the big concern. And interestingly enough, as the game progressed and, and as the game went on into, into sudden death over time, two overtimes that is, I'm telling you, this offense continued to get better and it looked like the Bruins were continuing to get better because the big story earlier on in the game was the fact that they were getting opportunities. They weren't burying them. And that's not something that if you look back on the three games of the round-robin play that the Bruins were getting opportunities and burying them. They weren't even playing like up to their standards, as they said. And I think that it's so telling that when you go back and you look at game one, game one was an absolute coming out party in terms of the Bruins finally rediscovering their game. Do I think they are completely out of the woods yet? Not necessarily. They still struggle on the power play, which still worries me because at some point they are going to absolutely need to score on the power play. But, but you did like what you see in terms of the five on five. You got two goals from your top line in this game. Two. You got a goal from Pasanak. You got a goal from Krejci as well. So that in itself, so not, not Krejci, excuse me, Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron was the guy in which that scored the, the game-winning goal in the second overtime in the game. You got you got the goal from Mar, from, um, from Pasanak and Bergeron. And as well, you got contributions from Krejci, and and as well as um, um as well as Charlie Coyle as well. So I th- I thought all in all, this was a game that for the Boston Bruins, there was a lot of positives, and so forth. And I think it's imperative that we look at these positives and talk about the fact that, hey, the Boston Bruins, they really not not only did they work on terms of breaking off that proverbial rust but they really did their part in terms of being able to find their game become consistent and as well as more importantly be able to do their part in terms of getting that confidence getting their first win in the bubble because let's face it they hadn't won a single game up until that point they lost the the uh the the quote-unquote exhibition game against columbus they lost all three games against philadelphia you know, um, Tampa Bay, as well as Washington in the round robin. So they hadn't won a game. They were on a bit of a losing streak, if you will. But for that first game, and speaking on the feelings of the first game, I am beyond happy and ecstatic that, again, it's Patrice Bergeron who scored the game winner. Listen, how many times have we seen Patrice Bergeron come up huge in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Do I have to go through that list? This, the fact that Bergeron is able to score the, down the game winner again in the playoffs does not surprise me. This only adds to the list of 
how clutch this man has been throughout his career in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Time and time again. And for a team that had so many question marks going into game one, I really do feel that this is a big sign of, of things to come for the Bruins in terms of their ability to start to find themselves again offensively, to be able to silence the doubters and, and so forth. What you saw in game one was not only the Bruins getting contributions from other parts of the lineup, but I really like what I saw from the fourth line in terms of them. Do, they did their job. I like what I saw from the third line as well. I really like the fact that it wasn't only the perfection line that scored the goals. You got contributions from Krejci and Coyle. And remember last season that Charlie Coyle was such an important piece to the Boston Bruins in which that I really believe that this time around, especially with the question marks in terms of the Bruins, are they going to have secondary scoring? Where is it going to come from? He is going to be absolutely huge and so important for the Boston Bruins in terms of getting secondary scoring if, in fact, the top line goes silent. And that in itself, to me, is really everything that you need to see and hear from the Boston Bruins, especially in Game 1. Now, Game 2 will be interesting to see how the Carolina Hurricanes bounce back after such a tough loss, but this series is far from over. I am am of the belief in which that the Boston Bruins are a team in which that Listen, I don't think it's going to be a sweep, but I think that they do have their work cut out for them. They're, they're going to be playing the following night. The following night. And that's because, if you remember, on Tuesday, the Bruins were supposed to play originally at 8 o'clock. But that got postponed and rescheduled because of the five-overtime game between Columbus and Tampa Bay. And that game was absolutely an all-time classic. I mean, five overtimes, a five-overtime game in which that the Bruins game was pushed to 11 a.m. start on Wednesday. So, to me, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Bruins are able to play in back-to-back games, especially considering that it's a 24-hour turnover, if you will, and as well as for the team looking ahead, what will the team be able to do in terms of can they sustain this momentum moving forward? Can they sustain this momentum moving on into game two and, and as well as game three? And that is something that I'm going to be looking forward to keeping an eye out for, especially as the series progresses along. But now here are some of the negatives. The negatives that I have in terms of the Bruins in this game is that, number one, starting with, I mean, Nick Ritchie, you knew that he was playing based on the uh, what you saw in terms of the the lineups that was posted before the game, but at the same time he was an absolute non-factor by far, and I think that in itself is really the most frustrating part of it all. Because in a series where it's going to be predicated on the speed, especially when you look at Carolina and the Bruins, like the Bruins have that speed and the physicality. Carolina they got the speed and a physicality as well. If you think about it, more than anything else, it's definitely going to be a bad matchup for Nick Ritchie. As for why he was playing on the line with, with, with Charlie Coyle, is beyond me. And that's just being completely honest. And the way that I see it is that why have him in the lineup, put in a young player like 
a, like a Trent Frederick or 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 Studnika, for example. I mean, to me, it's really become a point where what, at what point do you think that Nick Ritchie will be a factor in this series, if at all? Because he sure as heck was not in game one. And that's the point to me where it's really the most frustrating part of it of all, you know? Now, I'm not going to sit here and pick on Nick Ritchie in particular, but I want to point out just one, one of the few negatives from this game. I'm like, listen... After game one, you have to be thinking, well, the Bruins, they do look a lot better than they have previously. Because before, because if you remember the three games in the round robin where they look like absolute dog poop. And what you saw in game one was a team that looked a lot better. But the power play, again, is a point of concern moving forward. I like what I saw five and five. Five on five, they did the job, and they did the job well, which was great to see. However, but on the power play, they continue to still have problems. And there's going to come a point in time where if you're the Boston Bruins and you go back and you watch the, the tape from game one, you have to be able to see that the Bruins, and you know if you watch the game, the Bruins had plenty of chances galore to put the puck in the back of the net. But they didn't bury those chances. So to me, the real question is going to be, as the series moves along, is will the Bruins' power play begin to get going? That's the big question that I have. Coming up next, we're going to look at Game 2 of the Carolina Bruins series and discuss what needs to change in terms of the Bruins making adjustments going into Game 3. That and much more coming up next on the Shooting Right Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. This is Shooting Right, you're listening to 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to... uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
I always look forward to Rosano Radio on WMFO Medford 91.5 FM. Bringing you the hottest tracks from around the globe. From around the globe. I always look forward to Rosano Radio. With your host, FR, 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 FR. Mondays at 10 a.m. Rosano Radio on WMFO Medford 91.5 FM and live worldwide at WMFO.org. Mondays at 10 a.m. Rosano Radio, only here on WMFO. Of the sun was sweet, I didn't blink, I let it in my eyes Like an exotic drink, the radio playing songs That I have never heard, I don't know what to say Oh, not another word, just la-la-la-la It goes around the world, just la-la-la-la It's all around the world, just la-la-la-la And everybody's singing la-la-la-la And now the bells are ringing La 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 la
Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO and Medford Tusk Freeform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app. As a reminder, I just want to go over a couple of um, housekeeping items in terms of the radio show. You can catch the radio show if you ever happen to miss the radio broadcast on the podcast. You can find it on the Shukri Wright's podcast, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and as well as the Anchor app as well. So if case if you ever miss the broadcast on Saturdays from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., you can listen to it on demand and as well as catch up on the, the, the radio broadcast from that previous week. So in case if you ever miss the broadcast, find out on the podcast. And, and, and that's where you'll be able to find the show on um, on iHeartRadio and as the aforementioned Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, Apple, as well as um, the Anchor app as well. Now, I want to talk about Game 2 of the series against Carolina because in a game that certainly seemed that things were going very well for the Boston Bruins early on, however... The, by the time we got to the second period, the, the story really began to change and the momentum of the game began to change. And I want to spend on um, this segment um, talking about it and giving you my thoughts. And, and the first thought I want to start off with is this. Number one, David Krejci. David Krejci has, in the first two games so far, looked like the David Krejci of all in the playoffs. Remember, David Krejci has had a history prior to last year especially in the Bruins' previous two Stanley Cup final runs in 2011 and 2013, of coming up big in the playoffs. Now, that's something that I think that more than anything else, for the Boston Bruins, this bodes as good news. Now, I would say even further on that if you think about what David Krejci has been able to do in playing alongside Andres Kasha, that has been absolutely a big improvement as compared to earlier in the bubble when, when the Bruins were struggling, especially that second line where Krejci just, just didn't even look visible at all. So that in itself, in itself, was one positive that I took away from game two, you know, that given that he, he scored in the first period to give the Bruins an early one nothing lead. Now, as far as the second period goes, the second period is where things got really interesting. And the fact that the Boston Bruins, although at times looked as if they had they had complete control of the game, they had opportunities. And the, and the worst part was that in the first 30 seconds of the second period, Krejci was in all alone on the goaltender James Reimer and was not able to bury that opportunity. So as a result, the Boston Bruins, they squandered an opportunity to take a two-goal lead. And little did they know, that was about to come back to bite them in in the rear end, because when when the um, when, when the, when the Carolina Hurricanes um, came back to tide, it was Table Taravainen who who made who made them pay, and especially was part of was part of a um, a power play opportunity for the Carolina Hurricanes in which that they desperately needed because given that they were down and given that they they were looking as if they were about to go down 0-2 in the series the way that the Bruins were, were playing, that was a big momentum swing, if you will, at that time in the game, which tied it up on the power play. Now, 
What we didn't know was that about a minute 28 seconds later, the, the Hurricanes would score again. This time, it was it was Andres Osveshnikov who would give the Carolina Hurricanes a 2-1 lead on, 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 a, on a wicked snapshot. And that in itself was, and I think it was an indication above all else, of the Bruins breaking down defensively in which that you give the Hurricanes time and space and that on top of that, trying to play them along the boards, which all in all does not bode well for the team. And that's something I have noticed in game two is that this is a team that you can't try to try to win puck battles up against the walls because this is a team that, that is physical enough that's going to be able to outmuscle you. So the best way for the Bruins to beat the Carolina Hurricanes in this series is for them to actually make take-to-take passes and be able to find the open man, make the correct pass, and not turn over the puck. A la David Pasternak in game one on, on, that, on, on that horrendous goal. And so while the Bruins were on the power play, which turned out to be a, a shorthanded goal for the Carolina Hurricanes. But here was the part that got me the most upset. Now, Bert, now Marshawn tied up the game with about five seconds remaining in the second period, which at the point, it seemed as if that the Bruins... They finally got their momentum back on their side, right? So the part that got me the most upset was was the Ducky Hamilton goal on, on on that slap shot, that beautiful slap shot that he that he one time just over the glove of Tukaras. What was Tukaras doing on that goal? That's what I want to know. What exactly what he was he doing? Because when you when you saw it live. He barely moved the glove, and and it just seemed as if that he was just slightly out of position, and he left it the top corner completely exposed for Dougie Hamilton, and that was the part that got me the most upset. But also, what also got me equally upset was this, was that you saw and heard about Tukaras complaining about, oh, I'm not feeling the environment of the bubble. Like, seriously, you're sitting here feeling sorry for yourself. And then the thing that's got, that's got to make you mad as a Bruins fan is this. You're not the only one. Stop making excuses. And when you begin to make excuses, this is what happens. If you're the Boston Bruins, and you, listen, someone's got to talk to Tukaras and tell him, hey, buddy, get your head out of your rear end. You're not the only one that's playing in the bubble. Every other team that's battling for the Stanley Cup, they're playing in the bubble. And the part that you have to understand right here, right now, is this. You making comments and talking about, oh, the environment of the bubble, there's no fans. Seriously, that's a mental hurt that you're going to have to get over. No excuses. You don't hear the Carolina Hurricanes complaining about it. You don't hear the Tampa Bay Lightning complaining about it. You don't hear the Columbus Blue Jackets complaining about it. You don't hear anybody in, in, in Edmonton complaining about it. You're the only one. And yes, he, he has a right to feel the way that he feels, but let's not sit here and pretend that Tukaras is absolutely disavowed from any type of criticism, especially for, for the statements that, in, that he made in regards to that. Like, that's just another reason why I really believe that there are moments where I do really wear it for Tuki Rask. I really do. Because of mental mental errors that he made on the Dougie Hamilton goal and as well as comments that he made post-game. Like, seriously, enough, enough, enough is enough with the excuses already. Now, 
the Bruins had opportunities later in the third period towards the, in the last two minutes of the game to pull the goaltender and whatnot. And if not for the boneheaded decision of Dougie Hamilton to ice the puck, the Bruins had one last offensive zone faceoff, could not capitalize on the opportunity, and they end up losing the game. Now, the series is tied 1-1 as the Bruins had game three as of Saturday afternoon, early Saturday afternoon, not in time for the, the, the pre-recorded broadcast of this radio show to be done. So we'll talk about game three on next week's show, but through the first two games, I want to ask you this. As compared to the round-robin format, how do you feel about the Boston Bruins game overall? I honestly feel a lot better about it. But there is one major concern that I do have, and that's the injury to David Pasternak. Now, literally minutes before the game on Thursday between the Hurricanes and the Bruins for game two, David Pasternak was ruled unfit to play. Okay. When I saw that, I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's up? What's going on here? What's the story? No one seemed to have any idea as to what the situation was. And that's the thing that I couldn't help but to wonder, okay, what was the injury? Bruin fans were beginning to wonder, what, what was it? Is it COVID-related? Is it an injury? What's up? So I went on Twitter and interestingly enough, I actually found out maybe within 45 seconds what it was. Now, on the game-winning goal between um, between Pasternak passing the puck over to, to Bergeron for the game-winning goal in game one, Pasternak jumped up and he was laboring his what appeared to be his, his groin or his midsection and was skating gingerly over to the celebrating um, hurdle that celebrated the game-winning goal of game one. Now... If that was the reason why Prasenak was not fit to participate in game two, hopefully it's a day-to-day. But right now, the concern is Prasenak's injury, is it going to linger uh, as far as the Bruins go in the playoffs? Or is it something that is that was just, okay, a bit soreness, he, he, he got the game off, he's able to come back for game three. We don't know if he's going to be available for game three or not. As of Friday, we haven't heard anything as of yet. So that remains to be seen. So if anything, the Boston Bruins, and I think the Boston Bruins fans should be concerned about the injury to David Pasternak or what appeared to be an injury to David Pasternak because they showed the video both on Twitter and as well as they showed it on Nesson as well. So it's definitely something that, that caught the eye of so many people. So I do honestly wonder if that is something that the Bruins are going to have to keep an eye on in terms of Managing the injury, making sure that Pasternak gets the treatment that he needs, and most importantly as well, that he is going to be ready and and able to perform at a high level for the remainder of the playoffs as long as the Bruins are still participating and so forth. Now, I want to have an opportunity to to bring up something in terms of the the Boston Bruins here. In the first two games of the playoffs, I want to say that the Boston Bruins have done an absolutely terrific job in terms of getting pucks on that, doing better in terms of finding and creating opportunities to find the open man. And that's something that, and if you go back and you remember during the round robin play, 
the Bruins, they weren't generating much opportunities or chances at all. There has been a number of secondary chances that the Boston Bruins have generated in the second game, and, and as well as game one as well against Carolina. But the only thing is, has been is that they have not been able to, to capitalize on those opportunities. Now, as the series progresses, now that the series is tied at 1-1, there will be a game five. I'm curious to see as can the Bruins capitalize on those opportunities? Because if there's one thing that we know about the playoffs is that it's about the opportunities that you're given and being able to cash in on those opportunities. And that is something that I'm absolutely most curious about in terms of something that Bruce Cassidy is going to address during the, the during game three and as well as game four and so forth as we progress along in the series. But the, also the fact of the matter is this, ladies and gentlemen, we have a series now. This wasn't going to be a cakewalk of a series. And I firmly believe that the Carolina Hurricanes, they've, they've gotten better as compared to last year when they got swept out of the Eastern Conference Finals. So when you look at their game so far, is that they are not only just physical, but they have a terrific top line with Sebastian Aho and, and whatnot being, being the center of it all as well. And as well as they got some dynamic young players like Andres Sveshnikov. And as well as, you know, Ducky Hamilton, I mean, unfortunately, things didn't work out here in Boston. We, of course, Bruin fans haven't forgotten about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that this was a team that is a lot more mature, a lot more wiser than they were last year when they made their run to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm curious to see what the Boston Bruins are going to do in terms of the adjustments, in terms of their forechecking game, as well as matching Carolina's intensity defensively in terms of the, the physicality and whatnot. Not that the Bruins haven't, but by by and large part, I am, I am a firm believer that the Boston Bruins, as the series progresses, they're going to need to figure out ways and create ways to be able to, to limit Carolina's offensive chances because they've had chances of their own as well. And whenever things have gone their way, and they've shown you a lot, of, a lot more fight this time around that they did a year ago in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that is something that I think the Boston Bruins are going to have to take very seriously. Coming up next on the Chicken Red Show 91.5 FM WMFO in Bedford, there is a story that came out this week in Yahoo Sports in regarding to the NFL season that actually got my attention and way to the year about the potential idea that three teams are looking to implement as part of the NFL's return to play initiative beginning next month. Stay tuned for that one. That and much more coming up next on the Sugar Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO. This is Sugar Wright. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Tuskegee Farm Radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who who got got his first first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? 
or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner. Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat. Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. This is Ron LaRussa. Join me Thursday mornings here on WMFO for Rock of Ages. We play the best rock from all eras, including classic rock from the 70s. Rock and new wave from the 80s. Alt-rock from the 90s. And pop rock from the 2000s and today. Just the best rock from whenever. On Rock of Ages, Thursday mornings here at 91.5 FM WMFO.
Welcome to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO, and Medford South Street Farm Radio. And I want to touch on a story that actually got my attention. This came out on Wednesday afternoon in terms of the NFL having fans. Now, the idea in itself doesn't sound as if it, it is you know anything remotely normal. I mean, 2020 has been anything but normal, but the idea actually got me thinking. What if the NFL actually constituted this plan, but it also would depend on the locality of the government in each state? What is the idea? So the idea is that teams would constitute an idea in which that basically they will be selling tickets in pods. Now, what do you mean? Basically, there was a story that came out through, via Yahoo Sports on Wednesday evening in which that there are teams that are actually considering using the potting system in terms of being able to host fans safely during this pandemic, during the 2020 NFL season. Now, there are no guarantees at this point, but there are three teams that were indicated in this story that are either proposing or preparing to propose the idea of hosting fans via this ticket potting system. Here's the explanation that was given via the article on Yahoo Sports, which you can find on yahoosports.com. Here's the explanation that was given via Yahoo Sports that was explained. So here's the excerpt. Think of it like you are going out to dinner with another group of friends, one team source told Yahoo Sports. That's allowed in some places. So you go out together wearing your mask and you sit together at the restaurant where you're safely separated from other groups at other tables. That's basically your pod. You've committed to having dinner basically in your pod with the people you have arrived with, people you presumably know, and then you are kept separate from others who have their own pods. There are some details to be worked out with concessions and other stadium facilities in terms of bathrooms and ingress and egress, but that's pretty much the concept. Now, I'm not opposed to the idea. Now, the three teams that I mentioned that are strongly considering this idea, they are the Dallas Cowboys, the New England Patriots, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Personally, I'm not opposed to the idea at all. But there is two sides to this particular um, topic in which that I wanted to address. Why I think that this could actually work and why this also could be rather very risky. Let's start with why I think this could actually work. I want you all to think about this for a moment. For how long have we been hearing about how, well, practice social distancing, you know, protecting yourselves, and so forth. Great. At what point do you think that fans will be able to start attending these sporting events again? My thing is, in terms of the NFL, is that they know that they're going to be taking a massive hit financially. There's no getting around that. That's that's a given. However, what I do realize is that by doing these pods, they would, I'm talking about these teams now, they would be at least be able to recoup some of that money through um, through like you know ticket revenue and so forth. 
But here's the concern. My concern is that if you turn around and say, hey, you know what? These teams are doing it. But, however, you have a situation like the New York Jets and the New York Giants in which that they're not allowed to have fans at MetLife Stadium this season. That's the concern. So are you going to say that some teams are going to be able to have fans in stands while others aren't? I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. And I honestly think that it really will depend on the situation in terms of each state because that's also now I want to turn to why I think there's a concern that I have for this in particular. Number one, there are states that are absolutely not willing to have fans in stands this upcoming season or for any sporting events, for mass gatherings and so forth. Now, I don't know what the situation is in terms of the Patriots locally given that I'm based here in Boston. I don't know what the situation is in terms of whether they will they will be in fact be having fans in the stands or what Governor Baker has decided to allow in terms of mass gatherings and so forth in terms of sporting events. That's something that I'm interested in seeing what happens over the course of the next few weeks. Because we're in a situation now that listen, the COVID tests have gotten better in terms of the positive rate is going is going back in the right direction after there was about a week stretch where it was going in the wrong direction and whatnot. But for for goodness sakes, can we be completely honest and say that it's getting to a point where you've got to stop inserting fear in ter- in terms of when can we be able to have mass gatherings in terms of sporting events and so forth. I want to be able to go to the games as much as any other sports fan and whatnot, and I get it. And maybe I'm speaking selfishly, but to hell with it. But frankly, I do think that if you are the NFL, if you're a fan of these 32 teams, you have to start looking at, okay, no matter what happens, you know you're going to be taking a hit financially, but at the same time, what can you do? You you know that there are going, there are going to be franchises that are going to be considering having fans in stands, which I don't mind. I don't mind at all, but this is with this is also part of why I have concern. People are already complaining and fighting over whether they are willing to wear a mask and whatnot. And you go into a sporting event, you think that people are going to be willing to uh, to adhere to that. And I'm not saying that everyone is not wearing a mask or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Because by and large, especially locally here in Massachusetts, people have been doing a terrific job of taking it seriously. Kudos. But here's the thing. At sporting events, where people will want to take off their masks and say, hey, you know what? i got to be able to breathe. I want to be able to scream and yell and root and so forth. But at the same time, you're asking people to be willingly diligent, not negligent, in terms of being able to keep their mask on. That's the part of where I'm, I get the most concerned. Because I don't trust that a lot of these states, especially the fans in a lot of these states, are, are going to be willing to abide by the social distancing guidelines and be able to do the right thing, quote-unquote, as Jerry Jones put it. I have really have sincere doubts. I mean, I would hope so for humanity's sake. But the fact of the matter is that if you're the NFL and you're looking at ways to be able to have fans in in the stands this season, listen, it really is going to come down to each state in terms of 
where they are in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the positive testing rate, and so forth. And that, and they make the decision from there. But I really have to say this, this very, this very point here, because I've gotten so frustrated with how this has become so politicized, especially in recent months, in terms of what they are allowing, what they are not allowing. And I get that, yes, you have to take this seriously. I'm not dis- discrediting it at, at all whatsoever. But I do. I am of the the majority in which that when when I say, listen, be smart, practice good hygiene. That you don't need a you don't need a, a pandemic to tell you that. People should have been practicing that long before this pandemic. But at what point, if you are a sports fan or even the NFL, if you're an NFL fan and you want to be able to go to the game, do you say, hey, you know what? Perhaps, perhaps this will be. A good idea, you know, like do these pods, have a certain group of fans here, a, super, a certain group of fans there. Because by and large part, the average size of these NFL stadiums, unless if you're Jacksonville, are about maybe, let's say, about 70,000, 70,000, 75,000. Jerry's World, I mean, which is the home of the Dallas Cowboys, AT&T Stadium, they hold over what, 110,000, 90,000 plus? Yeah, so in that situation, I'm talking about in terms of the Dallas Cowboys, they would have absolutely no problem, absolutely no problem in terms of practicing social distancing, which to me, I look at the New England page, I look at, the, I look at Gillette Stadium, I don't doubt their ability to be able to do the same thing if the Patriots were to have fans this season, which in my heart of hearts, as a Patriots fan, I hope that is the case. Because let's face it, Sports has always been a great distraction. And to be able to be at a sporting event, is there is nothing like it. With everything that's going on in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the uncertainty, in terms of the, the, the economy and people being out of work and not, and not being able to get a job right now and whatnot, being at a sporting event at least gives people the opportunity to get away, to be able to enjoy sports for, at a time being. And to be to have some sort of semblance of normalcy again, because frankly, that's been lacking the last five months. And as we approach fall, I really do wonder at at what point do, especially the local teams, but I'm talking about specifically in terms of the NFL. The NFL they've had ample amount of time to figure this out. In terms of whether they're going to have fans in the stands this season or not, and as September approaches. I think it's imperative, especially here we are two weeks away from September, that if you are the NFL and you if you are the, the, the 32 franchises, and depending on what the situation is in your locale, begin to seriously look at whether if this potting system could actually work. I mean, that would mean that you're not, that doesn't mean you're going to have 70,000 fans in the, in the stadium again. No. What it actually means is that at least you will be able to fill, let's say, max 50%, 50% of what you would normally have for an NFL game. Could that work? Let's say, for example, the New England Patriots locally, because they were one of the three teams that, that are actually looking into this potting system. If you fill out 50% of Gillette Stadium, that's, that would be roughly, what, 30,000? 
35,000-ish. Okay, fine. You do that, and you look at in terms of how would that work in terms of where each fan or each group of people would be seated and so forth. That's also something that I feel like if you are the NFL, if you are any of these 32 franchises, that they're going to be looking at in terms of seating charts, arrangements, how will concessions work? And that was the other part that would that, that, that was mentioned in that excerpt that I read that caught my eye, concessions. How will that work in terms of will people be able to get up in line? You know, and you know, lines are already long, long as heck at NFL games, at NFL stadiums. And now you're asking people to stand six feet apart and so forth to go get food. How would that work? And when this is this goes back to the reason why having NFL preseason games was so important. Now with the NFL preseason games canceled, you're asking people and you're asking these teams to go into week one of the season having no type of rehearsal, no type of idea as to how everything is going to work, if they are to have fans and so forth, that's something I'm, I think that deeply, this is a disaster waiting to happen in that regard. I don't think it's wise, especially for these teams, if they are going to really have an opportunity to figure this out, to just go into the season with no dry test run and so forth, to be able to have some sort of an idea as to how this would all work. And I think it's important that we really take a moment to really think about this for a moment. Again, the potting idea, the potting ticket um, idea, I'm actually for it. I don't mind it, but I do have my concerns. And I think that these, these concerns are absolutely legitimate. If you really take your emotions and your thoughts and you're just looking at everything in terms of a big picture standpoint, I think it's imperative that you look at this and you say, you know what, this would be great, but here's the thing, safety. These stadiums have no preseason games. They have no way of actually being able to have a test run with fans. Yeah, they'll be able to you know, test certain things out with no fans in the stadium. However... Is that really going to work, especially when it comes to game day operations? I think that's something that's absolutely going to be worth looking into. And they only have, what, a little less than a month to figure this all out? So it's going to be fascinating to see how this all works out. Coming up next, I want to talk about my final thoughts for the week on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO. In Medford, this is Shukri Wright. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford Tufts. Freeform Radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison? Why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTechStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. A social distancing tip. Keeping your distance from others is important in slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are some fun things to do alone. Read a book. Take a walk. Unpack your suitcase from that trip you took last September. Paint a self-portrait. Catch up on a TV series. Do a puzzle. 
Remember, we should all stay home to lower the risk for everyone. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, Tufts Free Firm Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Now, final thoughts this week is brought to you by yours truly, 91.5 FM, WMFO uh, Medford. I want to touch on the Celtics in just uh, for a brief moment and congratulate Brad Stevens on getting a contract extension with the Boston Celtics. Now, this is a coach that has had tremendous amount of success so far in his tenure with the Boston Celtics as a head coach. However, the only thing he's he hasn't added to his mantle just yet is a championship. And I want to have an opportunity to talk about it in, in great length because Brad Stevens finally has a team that is capable of winning a championship, whether if it's this year or within the next year or two. And the one thing that I really want to see during this upcoming new um, contract extension is him finally bringing a championship back to Boston because now he's got he's got the talent, he's got the roster to do it. I mean, listen, you saw the emergence with Jason Tatum this season. You saw the emergence of Jalen Brown being um, his sidekick to Batman and Robin type of duo that the, on the Celtics have and whatnot. And I definitely believe that if you are the Celtics at this point, that there is no more excuses. You still need a top 10, like top 10 superstar talent to compete for a title, but the Celtics have the talent and they have it all together. So congratulations to um, the Brad Stevens on, on the contract extension. I know that he's thinking now with this team that's about to start the playoffs um, next week against the Philadelphia Sixers, he's going to have his hands full. And that's not a team that I would even remotely look or even overlooked by any stretch of the imagination, although they've had their problems. However, that this is a team that I really believe that if they play their cards right, they, this, that they can't give the Celtics issues. But with that being said, the importance of Gordon Hayward in this series against Philadelphia cannot be overstated, and I look forward to seeing how that all plays out. That'll be all for, for this week's edition of the Shooker Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Tune in next Saturday to hear more coverage of the Boston Bruins playoffs and update you on anything new that may be upcoming in terms of the Boston Bruins or Celtics, maybe some Red Sox or even the Patriots. That'll be all for this week. Thank you for listening to the Sugar Rates Show 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. This is Sugar Rates saying so long. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you guys next week.